The reading this morning is from the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together that God would speak into our lives from this book. Would you join me in praying? Father God, thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you that you can bring this book alive with your Holy Spirit's help. We want to draw close to you, Lord God, today. We want to understand you better. We want to hear you more clearly. So send your spirit to help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're picking up a story of Jonah with the passage you just had read. But in the verses immediately preceding it, you would have read, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's one of those situations you really don't want to use too much of your imagination. I don't know what that looked like and, well, it's probably not worth dwelling on that. But look at verses one and two. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And the first point I want to make this morning is this. If God gives you a second opportunity to obey him, do it. If God gives you a second opportunity to obey him, do it. Because you will remember that at the very beginning of the book of Jonah, Jonah had one opportunity and he blew it. 
He was told to head in one direction to Nineveh, and very deliberately he set off in exactly the wrong direction. And it has to be said that sometimes when people behave like that, they get decommissioned. And sometimes they get recommissioned. And were it ever to be that you in your life turn your back on God and run in the wrong direction and he gives you a second opportunity, for goodness sake, grab it. Now, one cannot always say that you will get a second opportunity. And sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Sometimes followers of Jesus and God's disciples seem to walk themselves beyond the place of no return. It's not that salvation's in question, it's just that they become deaf to God's entreaties. And sometimes God does cut short our ministry because of such disobedience. That's his prerogative. And you can find examples of that in the scriptures. I'll give you some. King Saul, for example, in 1 Samuel 13, when he sacrificed too early, even though the prophet Samuel had told him not to, and after that, uh, he was effectively laid off. Or Moses, leading the children of Israel, striking a rock in anger, moments which are portrayed as turning points, and God says, okay, Moses, but there's a price to pay for your disobedience. Or Elijah complaining once too often about how exhausted and alone he is, and God saying, fair enough, I'm handing your mantle over now to Elisha. But on the other hand, sometimes God does give people another chance. People who have benefited from this are people like Abraham, who passed his wife Sarah off as his sister more than once. And this disobedience, uh, God chose uh, not to set him aside. Or David, whose adultery with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah is outright criminal. He pays a terrible price, but God's anointing remains. Or all of the disciples, when they disown Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter in particular, when three times he's called out for disowning Jesus personally, and yet, and yet God gives them another opportunity. But what I, I want to lay before us is that when you walk away from God's voice, if you ever choose to do so, you walk yourself into very dangerous territory. You cannot be sure that you will ever hear God clear enough to walk back into his company. It's not, I think, that his voice diminishes in, in volume, as it were, or clarity, but it's that our hearing is distorted. And our desire to be close to God and to be anywhere near God's people also gets less. Well, obviously it would, because if you're holding out from God, you don't want to hang around with his family, do you? Well, it's, it, it's, it's not rocket science that wandering away from God is walking into trouble. But I wonder if you've thought about this too. Wandering away from one another is also walking into trouble. If you separate yourself from God's people, it's only going to be a matter of time before you become distant from God. And why is that? Well, because God has designed things in such a way that we actually need one another. More than that, God has designed things in such a way 
that we are potentially the very greatest resource on this earth for one another. Right at the heart of the baptism service that we just had, we said to Alice, we welcome you into the Lord's family. And that's not a trivial little statement. It's not a throwaway line. It's saying, Alice, if you're going to stand a chance of serving God faithfully, you're going to need the support and embrace of the people of God. And we're pleased to give it to you and offer it to you. We welcome you into the Lord's family. It's a wonderful thing to be able to say that. But here's the thing. If we're going to reflect on the last 18 months or so, all those restrictions that came with with COVID lockdowns, etc., have very effectively driven a wedge between members of God's family. And in a swipe, they have threatened God's community. And I think it's just worth stepping back and saying to ourselves, you know, in, in normal times, in usual times, we'd have absolutely no hesitation in saying to someone who cut themselves off from God's family, the church, you're shortchanging yourself. And you're shortchanging God's family. And it'd be easy to point that out why that is. We'd say you're denying yourself the opportunity, for example, of making new friends. We could say you're cutting yourself off from the river of praise. You know, we're made to praise God. And one of the ways that we live life to the full is actually getting together to worship him. More subtle, perhaps, you're cutting yourself off from a place where you'll be held accountable. And it's important that we are held accountable, that someone ought to be taking an interest in how your walk with God is going and ought to be helping you along the way. That's what we have small groups for, is it not? We're designed to be together to serve one another. And I think all those things I've been talking about, the disadvantages of being disconnected, They are the unintended consequences of lockdown, but they're not unforeseen or surprising. I know it's becoming a slogan, isn't it? Build back better. But really, it starts with repair work as far as the church is concerned, which is why I am really pleased to be able to say to you, please, 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 buy into the two events that are happening this coming week, which are setting out to re-establish our connection with, and connectedness with one another. And I'm thinking of the dwelling place, which is happening on Thursday at 7 o'clock in the evening. Now, because it's for women, I will not be there, but I envy you who can be. Because I cannot think of anything more precious at the moment than setting aside time to be in the presence of God and to worship him in spirit and truth and to rebuild strength and connectedness in that way. So I commend that to you. And if you haven't signed up yet, uh, do. You don't absolutely have to sign up in advance, but it just helps to know how many people are coming. And it's 7 p.m. this Thursday. I can also flag up next Saturday, we as a church, I'm not sort of given to giving commercials in the middle of sermons, But it it, it does actually connect with what I'm talking about. Next Saturday morning, everyone and anyone who thinks of St. Michael's as their spiritual home is invited to join us in our family morning together. And it goes on, including lunchtime. And I think that you can reserve your place up to the end of today 
And why is it important? It's not important for the numbers. I don't frankly mind how many or how few come. But it's important because without fellowship and support from one another, you endanger your walk with God. And if God speaks to you, you want to be available to hear it. I think God is speaking to this church. We need to come together to hear that. Well, let's move on to the second point. The first one was if God gives you a second chance, take it. The second point is if God gives you a message to share, say it. And surprise, surprise, Jonah has a message. And surprise, surprise, we have a message too. And the very obvious point from this passage is that revival and transformation comes with God's word. The Spirit spoke to Jonah, not once but twice, telling him to go to that great city, Nineveh. And this is what he had to say, verse 3, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was it. In Hebrew, apparently, that's just five words. He just walked around this great metropolis repeating five words. And boys, did it have an impact. And you know, we have discovered, I'm sure you've discovered, when God speaks, his word makes a difference. His word carries the power. His word has authority. Jeremiah says in his book, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces? And God spoke to Isaiah and said, As the rain and snow come down from the heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It won't return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve. And the writer to the Hebrews says something very similar. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. What do God's ambassadors down the ages, the most effective ones, what do they have in common? I tell you very simply, they relied on the power of God's word. If baby Alice is ever going to grow up and follow Jesus Christ, she will have to connect with the truth in God's word. If you and I are here this morning or watching online and you wonder if there's anything to this Christianity stuff, the quickest way to find out is to read God's word. And a little tip, don't start at the beginning. Most books you'd start at the beginning, Genesis, well then you'd have an awfully long way to go. Just, I pass on what a friend said to me, which led to me becoming a follower of Christ. They suggested I should read John's gospel in a modern translation and it won't take you very long. And you ask yourself this question as you read it. What do I make of the person described here as Jesus Christ? What do I make of him? And if your heart is open and you're saying to God, God, if you're there, show yourself to me, he will do that. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher in Victorian times, said, defend the Bible, I would as soon defend the lion. Unchain it and it will defend itself. And George Whitfield, who went up and down this country and around America, preaching and seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of people turn to Christ, was asked at one point by a publisher, book publisher, can we publish your sermons in print? And he said, yes. 
so long as you put in the rainbows, the thunder flashes and the lightning. Because God's word carries an anointing. It's powerful. That's where our confidence should lie. Not in the cleverness of the speaker or the entertainment of the music or the sophistication of sermons. No, it's coming under God's word. And what kind of word do you think God has given us to share? Here's what I think God's given us to share. God loves you this much, this much, in the shape of a cross. God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. What a gift. What a gift. And as we share that, you will see lives turn around. Why? Because you're clever? No. Because God is gracious and he speaks through his word. And there's something Jonah has learned as this book has progressed. He's learned obedience is more important than understanding. Obedience is more important than understanding. I reckon the way God taught him that was by being eaten whole by a fish. You know, he he never could have dreamt in the whole of his life that God's kind of FedEx system would involve being eaten alive by a fish. I'm quite certain as long as he lived and scratched his head, he never understood how God pulled that one off. But he knew this. He didn't have to understand it. He just had to be obedient. And by the time he's sicked up on that beach or whatever it was, all he does is just say, okay, God, if you've told me to say this, this is what I will say. And he went and repeated God's message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And surprise, surprise, two things happen. And these two things that happened then are still the touchstone of life today. These are the markers by which you can tell if God is at work or not. You can't tell if God is at work or not by numbers, how big a church is, how small a church is, but you can tell by these two criteria. These are the two sure signs that God is at work, and if they're not happening, God is not at work. Repentance and faith. We read in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God, and they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And the climax of a book in some ways is verse 6. The king rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Um, Repentance is a very old-fashioned word, I know. But its meaning is very contemporary. It means this. God invites you to turn your life around. God invites you to start a new life. And he invites me to start a new life. That's what repentance is. It's it's saying to God, the way I'm doing life, got to change because I want you at the center of my life. That's step one. And step two is, and now as I do that, faith is required. What's another word for faith? Trust. I've got to learn to trust you with the future of my life every single day. And as the king put on sackcloth and as the people followed him and as they draped their animals doing the same thing. They cried, cried, cried out to God. And this is the third point and final point of this talk. God 
is open to persuasion. This is the adventure, you might call it, of intercession. There are two words that stand out for me in this chapter, and they're in verse 9. I'm going to try and read it in such a way as you pick them up. Verse 9. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It's those two words. Who knows? Who knows what God might do if everyone calls urgently on God and gives up their evil ways? You know, it's exciting and awesome to think about this, that the situation with God is fluid. He's open to persuasion. His plan of action is not necessarily cast in stone. There's a very real point in praying because God's hand can be moved. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. There was something very real going on when Abraham was interceding with God over Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. And God has set it out for us in Scripture in 2 Chronicles 7.14, quite a well-known verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Or even more pertinent, tucked away in Jeremiah chapter 18, you can find these words. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I'd planned. And I think as we have reminded ourselves today of the ministry of Jonah and God's reaction to the prayer requests, surely it sort of ups the desire in our heart to humble ourselves and pray. And many people often point to the times when God has moved in history and they say that at the heart of every move of God there are people praying and actually at the heart of their prayers a turning point is repentance. But I do want to add a little aside there. We don't pray to ginger up the spirit. We pray because the spirit of God has gingered us up and there's a difference. And God's heart is to find people who will pray. How do I know? Because in Ezekiel chapter 22, he describes it like this. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and they mistreat the alien, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. But I found no one. And you know, an intercessor is someone who stands in between. That's what it means. Someone who fills the gap. Someone who with one hand is reached out to God 
on one hand has reached out to what they see going on in the world. It's like pulling them together and saying, Lord, take note. Lord, come and do something. And it's God's people, you and me, who are called to do that. So what will you be praying as this week goes by? What will I be praying? Because it's not prayer in itself that moves the hand, that moves the world. What has God put on your heart to ask God to do? I would say there's some very obvious things we could ask God to do at this time. Very, very obvious things. Obviously, he needs to make his name better known. Less than 5% of this country will go to worship in any kind of a church today. So over 95% of people will not call themselves Christians in any meaningful way today. That's quite something to pray for. Lord, break through, break through. But I would say after the last 18 months or so, there's so many people are walking around bruised and challenged. And we followers of Christ are walking around bruised and challenged. We should be praying for a recovery, a recovery of our confidence, confidence within ourselves, but in one another, within the family of God. I'd love to see a return of the joy of the Lord and hope and fun amongst God's people. And I'm sure God would love to do that too. There is hope as we walk with God saying yes when he speaks into your life. As we pray to God, as the Spirit puts things on our hearts, as we reach out to others in obedience to what God has commissioned us to do. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the remarkable turnaround that took place when Jonah was obedient to your commission. Thank you that so many of us in this church today have a story to tell of you speaking into our lives through your word. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us. Thank you that you're only as far as one prayer away for each one of us. And we pray, Lord, that if we hear your voice, we would say, yes, Lord, and not run away in the other direction. And we put before you the whole of this country and the community of St. Michael's and ask that you'd be at work amongst us, that you would begin to repair us, to fill us with your strength and your hope and your spirit and to bind us together we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.